Hi, I'm Lou. I'm a dad, husband, professional communicator, and a sugar addict. Soda, sweet treats, breakfast cereal, these are my indulgences of choice. I've tried to wean myself off the stuff, but I keep coming back for more. So I'm trying again to change my diet and my mindset about sugar one step at a time. This is my story. This is Sugar Crash. What's up, Sugar Crashers? It's 2020, and this is the first episode of the Sugar Crash Podcast. I did this diet in 2018 and again in 2019. Both times I podcasted about the experience, but didn't stick with the podcasting or the dieting. I'm back in 2020, but I'm relaunching with a different mindset this time. If you're new to the Sugar Crash Podcast, it's here that I carry out my own version of a diet, the Sugar Crash Diet. The concept is straightforward, to cut out as much refined sugar in my diet as possible. Why? It's my thesis that sugar is the thing making me unhealthy. Soda pop, breakfast cereal, and cookies all count sugar as a primary ingredient, and these are the foods that I find myself eating every day. And, full disclosure here, I probably have more than one serving of a sugary food at every meal. It's probably safe to say that I'm a sugar addict, but I don't think I'm alone, though. Look at the numbers. According to 2018 statistics for the Centers for Disease Control, 30.9% of adults aged 18 and older are obese in our country. That's nearly one-third of American adults. Over one-third, 35% of adults aged 18 and over, have an overweight classification. In Texas, the state where I live, the obesity number goes up for adults age 18 and over to 34.8%, more than a third of adults. Look up and down the grocery aisles at your local grocery store and you'll see aisle after aisle of foods with sugar as a primary ingredient. If it's not sugar, then maybe it's one of the myriad of other sugary substances that is loaded into our diets. High fructose corn syrup, dextrose, sucrose, all sugar products. There are other natural sugars too, agave, stevia, honey. We even have a diet class of sugar products, aspartame, saccharin, sucralose. They're all artificial sweeteners. I criticize, but it's easy to see why. Sugar is one of the things that makes foods taste good. Along with salt and fat, this is one of the ways that food manufacturers keep us eating, quote, the good stuff. You know what I'm talking about. It's the manufactured foods that we all know and love. I mentioned my drugs of choice. Soda, cookies, and breakfast cereal. I love all that stuff. And I love to indulge on a multiple meal basis per day. I know that this kind of love isn't sustainable. I'm 38 years old, and when I started this diet on January 2nd, I weighed in at 279.4 pounds. I can't remember the last time I was this heavy. This is by no means a commentary on weight or body shape. Put simply, I don't feel good at this size. I feel bloated. I feel bad. And I feel like I need to make a change. It wasn't always like this. Starting during my last semester of college, I sustained years of weight loss, doing basically everything wrong. Specifically, during that last semester of college, I was able to slam Little Debbie Honeybuns, 
20-ounce Sprites and other junk foods at all hours of the night and lose weight simply with exercise. Throughout my early to mid-20s, I could eat large amounts of sugary food and could still lose weight with only exercise. By my late 20s, things started to change. I couldn't eat what I once did. Even when I wasn't making brazenly bad choices, I was still gaining weight. Fast forward 10 years, and I'm here now. In March of 2018, I was below 230 pounds. Where I started this time, nearly 50 pounds heavier. That was only around two years ago. The last two years have been one of those times in life where both a lot has happened and nothing has happened. Two years ago, I was trying hard to make a change to my career. Two years ago, my family and I still had an infant at home. Two years ago, I was growing closer to a paralyzing relationship with anxiety. Last year, that relationship with anxiety and career met a new low. And I began to reevaluate things. I began to set new priorities for my own edification again. I found the joy in working on passion projects. Put simply, I'm in a better place mentally now, and I hope that makes all the difference in this time on the Sugar Crash Diet. How does a person gain nearly 50 pounds in two years? Simple. A steady diet of comforting yourself with sodas, cookies, and breakfast cereals. You know, the good stuff. There's got to be some of you saying, come on, Lou, you didn't just gain weight by eating only that stuff. And you're right. There were all kinds of other foods that I ate too. It was a whole network of poor decision-making that did it. McDonald's for a few too many lunches, adding the chips and drink at Jimmy John's, a few too many muffins for breakfast. Oh, and quite a large dose of self-diagnosed depression. But I think we're getting too far into it right now, and I think we have to explore how the body does what it does with sugar as a next step. So stick around for the next segment where we explore what the body does with the stuff that we call sugar. On this season of the Sugar Crash Podcast, I'm asking one big question. What's healthy? What I mean by that is I'm looking for people's definition of what healthy is to them, in their own words. I'm looking for all sorts of definitions, from the products and habits that we should give up, to the practices and mindsets to which we should give in, from the idiosyncratic to the sublime. I want to hear it all and share it with our listening community. There's a couple of ways to participate. Look for the What's Healthy posts that I make on Instagram and Facebook. The handle is at Sugar Crash Podcast. Or send me a message via our new podcast home at anchor.fm slash sugarcrashpodcast. Here's to finding out what's healthy in 2020. Sugar, you make me so unhealthy but I love you so much in all your forms. I love you as the glucose that I find in carbs like pasta and bread. I love it when you bring highly synthesized fructose to the party, like when I find you in soda pop. But I like it best when you come across in a glut in both forms, glucose and fructose in products like breakfast cereal and cookies. This unholy matrimony of both kinds of sugars provides all of the dopamine and serotonin a guy could want. Why must you do this to me? Sincerely, your friend, 
Lou. Ugh, I love sugar so much, and while yes, the longing that I've written here is a cheap ploy to make this segment, quote, more creative, it's not far off from what I theorize my body has been conditioned to love, pure sugar. I've trained myself like one of Pavlov's dogs over the years to be a connoisseur of the reward mechanism in my brain whenever I consume sugar, be it in the more obvious forms in sweet treats or desserts, or hidden in my favorite foods that aren't necessarily known as sugary. So like, what's going on when we eat sugar? How do we actually get fat from the stuff? Well, here's what I've picked up on the subject so far. When you eat food, any kind of food, the food goes into your stomach. I didn't have to look up that part, by the way. I just picked that up along my way of growing up. Yeah, okay, so in your stomach. In your stomach, the stomach starts breaking down the food into stuff the body can use. Some of that stuff is glucose, a sugar that is available in stuff like grains. The body doesn't have to do much with glucose. It can go straight into making that stuff into energy. The body does that in the small intestine, sorting out the glucose and delivering that straight into the blood. Now, the body is a pretty astute observer of what you've put in there. When that glucose goes into your blood, your body sets to work using the stuff as energy by sending out the hormone insulin. But as the body is monitoring the glucose energy that is in your blood, if it sees that there's too much glucose in there, Insulin goes to work storing the excess glucose as one of two things, glycogen or as drops of fat. In the case of fructose, you know fructose is the sugar that comes from stuff like fruit. By the way, fruits also have glucose. Well, the liver is involved on that one. It has to break down the fructose into glucose. This is one of the places where health problems can begin. I used a whole bunch of sources to get my head around this whole process, and you can view a list of those sources at sugarcrash.net to read more for yourself. About the body breaking down fructose, Harvard Medical School said, give the liver enough fructose and tiny fat droplets begin to accumulate in liver cells. This buildup is called non-alcoholic fatty liver disease because it looks just like what happens in the livers of people who drink too much alcohol. The Mayo Clinic says the condition can lead to cirrhosis of the liver, which means that scar tissue begins to make up more of the liver, halting its function. The problems don't stop with fatty liver disease. Too much glucose in the blood where insulin can't handle it? Does your body not produce enough insulin? If your body finds itself in one of these two scenarios, you may have developed type 2 diabetes. The Mayo Clinic outlines the following complications that can arise from having type 2 diabetes. Heart and blood vessel disease, nerve damage, kidney damage, eye damage, slow healing, hearing impairment, skin conditions, sleep apnea, and Alzheimer's disease. Intense. So, looking at my relationship with the sugary stuff, I know I need to make a change. There's too much at stake. In my first couple of weeks back on the sugar crash diet, though, things are looking good. Next up, stats. On the next episode of the Sugar Crash Podcast, I'll be talking about the simple guidelines that I'm using for the Sugar Crash diet this time through. I'll also be talking about meal planning, a skill that I'm not disciplined with, 
but is critical to the success of the Sugar Crash Diet. So, be sure to listen. Time for stats. I started the Sugar Crash Diet again this year on January 2nd, 2020. My weigh-in that day was distressing. I weighed in at 279.4 pounds. I don't think that this is the most that I've ever weighed, but even if it wasn't, it wasn't far off my highest weight either. It's not that the number of the weight has me down, it's the way that I feel inside. I'm comfortable wearing a size 38 pant. I'm comfortable wearing a size XL shirt, but my body made it feel like I was being squeezed out of all the sizes I was comfortable wearing. And it wasn't just the size of my clothes. I found myself really watching myself physically. My interior monologue resembled something like this. Was I getting winded doing things that would have never made me out of breath before? Why was I having heartburn all the time? Did I not drink water at work today? I'm 11 days in on January 12th, and I'm happy to report that I'm already under 270 pounds. I weighed in at 268.2 pounds on January 12th, and I feel like I'm really making progress. Although I do have to confess that I had a Dr. Pepper, and I've had donuts during this window of time. I've also had a couple more meals that may have had sugar as an ingredient. But... No matter, perfect fidelity isn't the goal. Sustainable, life-changing decision-making is. So, we continue forward. I've been posting some pretty decent blood pressure numbers ever since I started as well. My most recent reading, 135 over 82, is a little high, but it's a number I hope to whittle down in the weeks ahead. I'd like to mention that the January 5th number, 126 over 76, was a really good number to me. If I can get that diastolic number below 80, I'll be doing good. So we've got a really good start, Sugar Crashers. I'm happy to be behind the mic with you again, sharing my story of trying to change my relationship with sugar one step at a time. In the meantime, be sure to smash that subscribe button on Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can crash along with me on a daily basis on Instagram or Facebook at Sugar Crash Podcast.